announcement about the Portland missions trip this morning. This is your last chance. So if it's been in your heart at all to go on this trip, you need to speak to Heidi. And I want you to know that at this point, um, we don't have enough people to make the trip happen. So um, my sense is that maybe God is calling people and we're not responding to it. And we're not being brave and making that leap of faith to actually go. You've you're got lots of reasons of safety or finances any number of reasons why. But if the Lord has been talking to you about this at all, if you've been throwing those reasons up, that's probably your spirit fighting the Lord's calling. And I want you to really consider it prayerfully. And talk to Heidi today after the service, because she's got to make the decision this week whether she calls the team in Portland and says, hey, I'm sorry, we just don't have enough folks to do this, or, or if we're going to go. So there you go. There's the, the truth of that, and we want to make sure you know about it. And uh, just be prayerfully considering it. And then you don't have to commit. You can just talk to Heidi and say, I want to consider doing this. Tell me more about it, okay? Um, so go and talk. She's in the preschool classroom this morning. Ah, so how is your courage this morning? Now that I've just kind of put you on notice, right? I'm like, hey, if God's talking to you, be brave. Get you right in the backside. Get to it, right? How's your courage this morning? Feeling brave? You feeling brave? You feeling brave this last week? You guys, uh, eh. Yeah, we've been uh, talking about this intensely for three weeks now. So I was kind of figuring that when I asked that question, that most of you would be like, you know, be totally like, most of you would have come this morning with blue paint on half your face and, you know, just total brave heart. I'm like, ah, you know, um, afraid of nothing. That's what I was expecting. But that's not reality, right? That's not how it rolls. As I've been saying throughout this whole series, it is always easier said than done, Right. But I promise you, if you kept coming to this, this services, kept coming uh, week after week, we'd be building on these different ideas. Because I realize that the truth is, when, when Philippians says, and Paul tells us to be anxious for nothing, that there are so many some things in this world to be anxious about that we kind of have to address each one of them. We have to come at each one of them and begin to look at them and to wrestle with them a little bit. So we've been anchored in the book of Philippians, chapter 4, uh, specifically verses 8 and 9. And I want to read to you, um, I want to read to you again the passage that we read last week. In fact, we're going to look at the same passage just briefly, and I'm going to preach a whole different sermon from it. Isn't that cool? Like, it's like, what? Can you do that? Can you, is that even possible? I mean, preach the same two verses and have two sermons on it? It's true. And so we're going to look at it today. But I'm going to take it from a different version of the Bible, the New King James Version of the Bible. And I'm not typically very fond of the King James Version, but there is a translation of a couple of words in here that I feel really accurate to the Greek, and I want to draw them to your attention. So this is what it says. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things, and this is the words, are of good report. If there is any virtue, and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do. Do them. And the peace of God will be with you. Put it out last week how earlier in Philippians he says that God's peace will be with you. But then he switches it around and plays on the words and reverses it. And he says the God of peace will be with you. We have the God of peace living in us. When Jesus comes into our lives, we receive peace. When Jesus comes into our lives, we receive joy. When Jesus comes into our lives, we receive courage. Now, if you've not experienced these things in your life, it's probably 
probably because that there is some part of you that has not yet been awakened by the Spirit of God, that you haven't made the step maybe in your own heart to step out and to trust Jesus, to put your foot out of the boat and to see if the water is actually solid. Because when we do that, with Jesus living in us, the giant is awoken and we come to life. Whatever things are true, whatever things are honorable, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever is of good report, if there's anything of excellence, anything worthy of praise, think about those things. When you focus your life on the things of God, when you focus your life on Jesus, the giant awakens inside and you'll discover peace, joy, love, patience, gentleness, goodness, self-control, courage, all of the things that there is no law against in this whole world. The whole world is looking for these things. They will come alive in you. I want to focus on those two words, the good report. I spotted it as I was reading the just various translations of the text to see how the different Bible scholars had, you know, worked through the Greek and to see what they had to say about it. Um, and I was I was looking at that and it just like stood out to me this good report. I thought that's weird words because we don't usually talk about a good report. We often talk about bad report, right? The world is full of bad news. And I'm wondering if anybody here, maybe this week, has received a good report. Anybody? Okay. Well, there's one. Two good reports. Anybody? Go ahead. Raise your hands. Anybody receive a good report? There's another one back there. There's one right there. There's a few of them. You're thinking about it, right? You're processing it. Now, if I had asked you, how many of you heard bad report this week? How many of you heard a bad report this week? Yeah, pretty easy to bring that to mind, isn't it? But we're slow to think about the good report. We're slow to bring that to the fore of our minds. News today seems to be mostly bad. We just turn on the radio, we turn on the TV, it's mostly bad. And not only that, whenever news is reported, it doesn't seem to be reported dispassionately or non-biasedly. Is that even a word? Biasedly? I'm not even sure. We'll go with it, right? We'll just make it up. I'm in charge. I've got the microphone. I can do whatever I want, right, Doug? Okay, so we'll just make up a word. Non-biasedly. And uh, you know what I mean. It's, it seems to be that there is something behind it that's driving an interpretation of the events. So you might see an article like, in New York, a child helped an old woman across the street. Right? Hooray! But then the following is, but the Cub Scouts are investigating the situation because they are afraid that he may have eaten too many fruit snacks before he crossed the street, thus endangering the woman's life. Right? So we just add some weird things to the end of it and turn it into bad news. Like, oh my gosh, the Cub Scouts are endangering our old women now. What is this world coming to? Let's be honest about it. This has been done to President Obama. It was done to President George W. Bush. It's being done to Donald Trump. It's being done to every news story everywhere because bad news sells. Good news doesn't usually sell. I look at uh, Yahoo News on my little iPad each night. It gives me 8 to 10 articles. And always, the 10th article is about news or entertainment. And I would say 1 out of 8 days that there is something good at the end of it. All the rest of the time, it's about, I mean, you've got nuclear holocaust coming. You've got this thing that this person did. You've got genocide in this place. You've got all these horrible news events. And then it ends with, like, so-and-so got a divorce. Or this movie's coming out, but this actor hated himself afterward. It's just silly. It's just silly. And then every now and then there's some good news there. But for the most part, news is given to us and it's not reported dispassionately, but it's given to us to interpret the future based on them. The world has always been full of news. And yes, from a moral, spiritual, and physical standpoint, that news is often bad. 
But I think that you and I, as Christians, as followers of Jesus Christ, should not be people of bad news, but we should be people of good news. That we should be people that carry and live and see and speak good news. There are lots of reasons that I think this. I mean, we could start in the beginning of the Bible and go to the end of the Bible, and I could give you hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of examples why I think that. But let me just give you one of them. Psalm 112, 6 through 7. It says this. I'm going to open up my Bible because I want to read it to you. Whoops, wrong page. Let's go to this other spot over here. Here we go. It says this. Six through, we're going to read 6 through 8. For the righteous will never be moved. He will be remembered forever. He is not afraid of bad news. His heart is firm, trusting in the Lord. His heart is steady. He will not be afraid until he looks in triumph on his adversaries. Surely the righteous will never be shaken. Imagine that. Righteous people are stable people. They're not blown about by every wind and wave of bad news that comes their way. They don't, they don't easily get pushed over. They're not lightweights that when the gales come up, they blow away, right? They are stable people. And that stability comes from a place that is it's, it's anchored deeper than news. It's anchored deeper than their emotions. It's anchored deeper than our finances. It's anchored deeper than our security as a nation. It is anchored in Jesus Christ and his unfailing, steadfast love for us. And that stability, that anchor, actually causes us to be stable in our emotions to be stable in our behaviors, to be stable in our beliefs. No matter what life throws at us, we're not shaken. The psalmist goes on, he says this, he will never be shaken, he will be remembered forever. Now this is the sort of person that people take notice of, right? It's the brave and the heroes we make movies about. But the world is looking around for brave people, looking around for heroes, looking around for stable people to watch. It's the sort of life that catches the attention of people in the world and they remember them. They remember how they acted when they got the bad news of cancer. They remember how they acted when, when life threw them a curveball. They remember how they acted when they got laid off. They remember where their trust was. It stands out to the world. He is not afraid of bad news. His heart is steadfast, trusting in the Lord. There are a lot of unbelievable things in the Bible. But I think this is a pretty unbelievable thing. Like, by the world standards, this is crazy talk. It's crazy talk that we could actually be in a place in our relationship with God that when we hear bad news, we don't necessarily experience it as bad news. Our hearts are secure. They have no fear. And in the end, they look in triumph on their foes. He says that these people's hearts are secure because of their trust in the Lord. Now, if you didn't pick that out, there's three S's here. First it says he's not shaken, so he's stable. And then he's steadfast. And then he's secure. This is a description of righteous people. Now, Romans says that we have become the righteousness of God, you and me. We have stability, steadfastness, and security when we trust in the Lord. But you've got to wonder, when you look at our world, when you look at our lives, when I look at my life, is that even possible? Is it even reasonable? Because can I tell you that often I am not afraid of bad news necessarily. I don't know about you, but I am more afraid of what might happen because of the bad news, right? I'm more afraid of what might happen because of the news. A lot of us are this way. I mean, think about it. If you're a parent of a teenager who is driving, right? And the phone rings at 10 o'clock at night. 
Now, the news is the phone is ringing at 10 o'clock at night, but your head says, I am the parent of a driving teenager. It's 10 o'clock at night. Something horrible has happened. Fear rises up in you. The adrenaline kicks in. You start shaking, and you rush for the phone. That's what you do. You're more afraid of what that news might be than what the news actually is. As a cancer survivor, there was a, a time in my life where I experienced deep and unsettling fear every time I got a little bit sick. You know, every time I got a cold, I'm thinking chemotherapy. Every time I got a, a sneeze, you know, I sneezed, I'm like, I got to go see the doctor. I got to get a blood draw. I got to go find out what's going on inside of me. Because I had received such bad news once, I was expecting all of the other news to come along to lead me to that other bad news. Or maybe other times, and this one you might even uh, resonate more with if you never have cancer, um, emails. Emails or texts or phone calls from specific names or people. You ever have that? There was a time in my life where it was my senior pastor that I was like this with. Okay, I was, I was working in tree work, and he was like, like failing all over the place. He was just a mess in his heart and his mind. He was just really struggling. And there was this period of time for almost 15 weeks where every Saturday when I was working, he would text or call me and say, Hey, I know you're climbing trees today and that you're going to get off at 5 o'clock, but I'm wondering if you could lead worship and preach tonight. You know? And the first time, you're like, oh, man, something's got to be up. And so, yeah, but about the fifth time, the sixth time, I'm like, do not disturb, do not disturb, turn this thing off. I don't want to hear from him ever again, you know? Because it brings that up, that, that stress in your heart. Sometimes life is like that. It's wave upon wave of bad news. Sometimes it's big things, sometimes it's small things, but it's the accumulated effect of all those little pieces of bad news over our life that erodes our confidence erodes our security. It erodes what we think and we're trying to build our lives on. And it becomes shifting sand underneath our feet. And that's why it's so important for believers like you and me to have our lives anchored in something deeper. Something deeper. You live on the edge. When you hear this news over and over again, we become like animals who are, have been hurt, right? When the hand reaches out to touch us, we bite at it because we're so afraid. We're so afraid. But here's the thing about bad news. The report that you believe is much more important than the news you receive. It's a nice rhyme, right? The report that you believe is much more important than the news you receive. There is a difference between a report and news. In Philippians 4, the word translated as admirable or good report is euphemos. And it means things spoken in a kindly spirit with goodwill toward others. It's not just facts, but it's facts that lead you to a positive conclusion about the news you've received. It's facts that lead you down a good road instead of a negative road. So when Paul says to think about things that are on a bring a good report, he's talking about look at the, the news that's coming into your life. Is the news that's coming into your life leading you to trust and believe in Jesus? Or is it leading you to believe and trust in the report that the world is all going to come to an end and it's all going to burn, it's all going to come apart, and your life is just going to fail and everything is going to be horrible for you? Paul is saying, focus, make a habit of thought about thinking about a good report. Focus your life on understanding God's good report for you. Another way he says it is this, love always believes the best. Always believes the best we have a choice. We can choose to believe a report that says, God loves me and has wonderful plans for my life, 
Or we can choose to believe the report that says the church is dying. We can choose to believe the report that says God has got this thing all put together and it's stringing out to a conclusion that he has designed and planned all along. Or we can look and say culture is coming apart. The president's going to wreck things. Uh, women are going to be subjected to men. Uh, slavery is going to come back. I mean, any number of things that we can take and build logical arguments and go toward. Or we can believe for what God has for us. We can live our lives focused on what God has for us. These are our choices. Here's a little test. Let's try this and see how you, how you think about the outcome of news. If I was to say to you this phrase, what do you feel? Here's the phrase. Need to talk to you about something. Uncomfortable chuckle. Right? Uncomfortable chuckle. I hate that phrase. I hate it. When you hear it, when I hear it, okay, I'm not going to say what you hear. When I hear it, every muscle in my body tenses up. I like, I need to go see the chiropractor and the massage therapist to get the tension out of my body just after that phrase, right? That's how I am. I'm like, oh, because so many people have said to said to me, I need to talk to you about something. And then I'm like, sure, let's go get coffee. Like, no, it needs to be at the church. I'm like, oh gosh, I need to at the church. What does that even mean? And you show up and you sit down and they're like, boom, here it is. And you're like, oh, bad news. Bad news, you're angry. Bad news, I said something that wasn't this or that or didn't make you happy. You know, when I hear... I need to talk to you. It's like, brace yourself, right? You ever had somebody say, I need to talk to you? And then they go, it's not about anything bad. You're like, well, why did you start with that phrase? Why don't you just like jump into, hey, can we talk about dinner next Thursday? You know, <laughs> you know like, why did you, why did you start, start with the bomb? Here's another one for the kids in the room, okay? And, and the young adults who are going to school. How about this one? Report cards come out Friday. I don't know, kind of, you know, Oh, no, exactly. I'm like, I got Isaac's attention <laughs> just then. The report cards are coming out Friday. When I was a kid, it was like all dependent on, you know, the state of my academic success, right? If I had good grades, it was like, oh, no problem. But if I had bad grades, I'm like, can I dig a hole someplace and just hide from the world because they're going to discover how awful I am? How about, here's another one. The boss wants to see you. The boss wants to see you. Yeah. Now, for some of us, we're like, well, it's about time he gave me a raise, right? <laughs> but for most of us, it usually means there's some kind of bad news coming on the other side. Now, I use these, these few phrases because I want to point out, look at our natural tendency. We hear a phrase, and then we assume the worst. We hear a phrase, and the report that our mind, the blanks that are filled in, are for the worst. Rather than allowing our minds to fill in those blanks with a positive report with good things, with, with the potential of what God wants to do. Any of these opening statements can go either way. But based on the report that we believe, often with good reason we believe negative reports, the outcome um, is consistently negative. That's often what we do. We tend to think of worse outcomes. Now the psalmist says that a righteous man or a woman is not afraid of bad news. So let's get practical there. It's, he's saying... The righteous person is not afraid when somebody comes to you and says, I need to talk to you about something. When I put those two things together, i got to tell you, I was so convicted in my own heart because I go tense, right? I am afraid of bad news. I'm afraid of what might come. I experience anxiety. And Paul says, be anxious for nothing. 
but I'm anxious because he said he's got to talk to me about something. This is a Paul, of course you know, Paul, that this is completely, completely normal, completely, you know, righteous thing to be worried about. And he's like, no, be anxious for nothing. The reason that the psalmist is able to say that, though, is because if you read up in Psalm 112, he says this. He makes a declaration about the righteous as well. He says, blessed is the man who fears the Lord. So the man who is afraid of God and nothing else is blessed. His offspring will be mighty. They're going to learn how to be strong because their dad was strong, because their dad was trusting in God. Wealth and riches are in his house because he's made wise decisions with his life. He's blessed. And light dawns in the darkness for him. Even the dark is his light to you, O Lord. This declaration has been made, and because he sees this way of life, because he is following God, because he's anchored himself in the Lord's love for him, he understands that he will not be shaken. He can be stable and secure. That he can believe a good report versus a bad report. It's easier said than done, though, right? Easier said than done because this is gut reaction stuff. This isn't like I sit down and plot out my day and think, here's the list of phrases that I'm going to respond negatively to today. It's just gut response. It just happens. It just comes out of us, which is where the Lord wants to transform us. This is where God wants to change us and shape us. He wants us to see that, wow, tomorrow I may respond anxiously about this, but guess what? In two weeks' time, in three weeks' time, I'm going to be trusting in the Lord in these things. I'm going to be standing stable and secure and steadfast as I root myself into Him deeper and deeper and deeper. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that hopeful? There's this uh, book in the Bible um, that I'm going to share just a little piece with you from. Because and we say this, it's easier said than done. And I think oftentimes we go to the examples of like Jesus in the Bible and people have this way of thinking about it. They're like, well, you know, of course Jesus could be anxious about nothing. Of course Jesus could be that way. I mean, he's the son of God. I'm just the son of Jim, you know. <laughs> I'm just the son of Ted or the daughter of Wendy, you know. Just like, these people are nobody. You know, of course Jesus could do that. There's this woman in the Old Testament, and she's her story is found in this, this book, and it's tucked into these big hitters of, of Nehemiah and Job. It's this book called Esther. And it's a book full of extraordinary circumstances, people caught up in extraordinary circumstances. And it's an interesting book because nowhere in the book is God actually mentioned. Strange. It's like, but wait, that's in the Bible. Yeah, it is in the Bible, and God doesn't even come up. But you can see his work and his hand at play all through it because the people are being faithful and the people are trusting, even though it never says that that's what's going on. Now, the Jews have a whole festival around this book of Esther. It's called Purim. And it's a really cool festival. I was telling my kids about it the other day. They're like, Dad, can we do it? So there's only two things that they're required to do during the festival of Purim. The first thing is they're supposed to read the entire book of Esther. Now, before you go, ooh, that sounds boring. It's not very long. And then they get to do this thing with it. And we're going to do it this morning because I'm going to tell you the story rather than read it to you. They've got the bad guy and the good guy. The bad guy's name is Haman, and the good guy's name is Mordecai. Cool name, right? Mordecai. Don't you wish that was your name, Jandy? It's like, hey, I'm, I'm the worship leader. It's like Cher. Just got one name, Mordecai. But, okay, so anytime, that is pretty cool. She's like, ah, I'm in. Let's, let's just do this. So anytime the name Haman is, is brought up in this reading of the story, the people listening are supposed to boo and hiss and curse his name. All right? So let's practice that. Haman, boo, yeah, there you go. And then Mordecai, whenever he comes up, we're supposed to cheer and, and yay and bless, we're supposed to say, bless Mordecai, okay? So let's all try it together. Mordecai, 
Yay! Okay, so in a second, I'm going to tell you the story, and you get to do that. You get to shout and cheer and be all involved in the story, all right? Now, the second thing they're supposed to do is this. It's, it's a, put together with a book, a collection of books, and the book of Ecclesiastes is one that it's supposed to be read with. And one of the things that Ecclesiastes tells us to do is to eat, drink, and be merry. Now, some of you are saying right now, why hasn't my church ever told me I'm supposed to do that? I'm telling you right now, you're supposed to eat, drink, and be merry. And they've got some rules around this, but they say you're supposed to drink so much that you can't tell the difference between bless Mordecai and curse Haman. Now, there's a lot of debate on how drunk that is. We're not going to do that this morning, okay? It's like, that was not permission. There's also some rules about alcoholics and things like that. You're not supposed to break any other laws, but just saying. So we're going to read some of this story, and uh, we're going to see this. So Esther is caught up in the middle of a really difficult story. Um, Since her birth, there's not been—I'm going to read here so that I don't miss some of this, okay? Since her birth, there's been not much good news for her and her family. Her homeland has been invaded by the Babylonians. She's from Israel. And her people have been taken away as slaves and scattered across the empire. Her whole family has been killed. But she has mercifully been able to remain with her cousin, who is raising her and protecting her as his own child. Now, at not much older than 14 or 15 years old, she has caught the eye of the king. And hiding the fact that she is Jewish, she has been chosen to be a part of his harem. Right? And all the women shivered in the room. She is called into the king's chambers for her shift one day. And he is so pleased with her that he makes her the queen. In our day and age, we would say, perhaps aside maybe from being made queen, that this is bad news, right? Am I right? This is some seriously bad news. Now, her cousin, Mordecai, has drawn some pretty negative attention from the king's right-hand man, Haman. Haman is a man who wants people to bow down to him, but Mordecai refuses. Oops. But Mordecai refuses to bow to anyone but his God, as Jewish rules would dictate. Knowing that all Jews follow this rule, Haman convinces the king that it is not in his best interest to keep all the Jews around, and so he offers to personally pay for the expense of executing all of them. Again, a very, very bad report. You can say boo to that. That's okay. Boo. Did you say yay? We'll redact that from the recording. All right, here we go. So when Mordecai finds out about the plan to exterminate the Jews, he sends word to the queen. Esther sizes up the situation and realizes that she can do nothing because, in her own words, now this is from uh, chapter 4, verse 11, all the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces know that if any man or woman goes to the king inside the inner court without being called, there is but one law, to be put to death. Esther's initial response to this news that she receives is to believe in a really, really bad report. Right? There is nothing I can do. I can't stop this thing from happening. I'm just this little, weak person. I'm the pleasure slave of a foreign king. I'm only as alive as long as he is pleased with me. I have nothing but my life, and if I try to do something about this bad news, I won't even have that. Mordecai, Mordecai doesn't help by reminding her that she too is a Jew, and that she too is subject to the extermination. So she's dead either way, right? The bad report just got real. 
Esther's life has gone from bad to worse to worse to worse to impossibly horrible. And her fear leads her to interpret the bad news in a negative way. But listen to this. Faith. Faith. Faith can turn bad news into a good report. Faith can turn bad news into a good report. Paul says, think on the good report. Make it a habit of your thought to see the possibility that God is working all things together for your good. Make a habit of thinking that the Lord has a plan and a will in this world and everything is moving toward it. And though it may not look good now, He is working something wonderful. The report that you believe is much more important than the news you receive. So, Mordecai, after telling Esther that she has no real choice, challenges Esther's report that she believes. That she, he challenges what she is believing. And he says to her this, in faith, he says, Who knows whether you have been brought into the kingdom for such a time as this? Who knows if everything that has happened horrible in your life up to this point that has led you to this place is not for this one purpose, to save your people, to save everybody around you. It may be that you've gone through all the bad news for a good purpose, and this might be it. Maybe God wants you right here and right now. And he says this, he goes, it's like, I don't bow down to Haman. I, I don't shiver under his gaze or his power. I have faith in the Lord. Just look at my actions. Mordecai is basically saying, I don't have to have good news to believe a good report. Her reply to this is absolutely astounding. She says this, Tell the family to pray and fast for me. I will go to the king, though it is against the law, and if I perish, perish. How about that for brave, right? I mean, that is the heart and soul of what it is to be brave wish that I could have had the time to tell you the rest of the story, how God literally uses the gallows that Haman creates to literally hang Mordecai in his backyard. God literally uses that very same gallows to take down Haman. And then we can give a yay because he dies. Good job, you guys. Are, you're all officially Jewish now, so go home and be, eat, drink, and be merry. No, um, kidding. Don't do that. I wish I had time to tell you all about that story, but sadly I don't, because we've been saying that this series is all about practical spiritual warfare, right? It's about being practically, how do we be brave? So I want to give you three things that you can do to go from this place and be brave and learn to take in faith, hear a good report, even though you receive bad news, all right? Here's how we're going to do it. Let's get practical. First of all, find a good interpreter. Um, I, some of you guys may have seen this, probably more of the young adults, but I'm going to tell everybody about it. My kids have discovered this thing online, and it's called, what is it called? They're called Google Translate Sings. Is anybody familiar with this? Google Translate Sings. Now, here's the idea. Some people have taken popular Disney tunes, and they go to Google Translate. They put the Disney tune in in English, and then they translate it to, like, Spanish. And then they take the Spanish translation, and then they translate it to, like, Hebrew. And then they go from Hebrew to, like, Tagalog. And they do that eight or nine times and then take whatever that last thing was and then back into English. And it's crazy what comes out. It's like, it's, it's a modern version of the telephone game, okay? You start with one thing and you wind up with something else entirely. Emma and I were playing around with this yesterday and uh, we, we did an interpretation of one of our worship songs just to see what would happen. So we did this phrase, you make me brave, you make me brave, 
you call me out beyond the shore into the waves. Right? Familiar song here for everybody? Here's the translation. They gave me strength. They gave me strength. People can call me on the beach. Good news, right? Like, why don't we sing that song, you know? <laughs> People can call me on the beach. You know what that means? I'm on the beach. <laughs> oh, man. So, here's the thing, though. The Google Translate is awesome as a translator, and it gets some things, but it fails in that it, it just translates words. It can't translate meaning, right? That's how we go, you call me out. This whole picture of faith, you call me out beyond the shore to the waves as to you can call me on the beach. It doesn't translate meaning. It just translates words. When it comes to the reports that we hear, we need people that will help us translate the meaning of that news so that we can look and see the good report of what God is doing. When we surround ourselves with people who can help us interpret bad news into a good report, we can have the faith to believe in God's promises. We need to surround ourselves with these people. Many of us live with what seems like a permanent bad report regarding ourselves. It doesn't matter what comes to us. We hear only the worst. And you guys have all experienced these people. Whether you're one of these people or not, you've come up against them. You're talking to them. They hear you say something, and they assume you're speaking bad about them. And you may be telling them, hey, you got a man, Derek, your hair was awesome today. And Derek in his head hears, I'm balding, and he hates me. You know, have you ever met these kind of people? He's not at all. He's got like super thick hair, luxurious. We all admire Derek's hair, which is why I chose Derek. It's getting better all the time. He's like, keep talking about the luxury of my hair. Many of us are in this place though. we live with a permanent bad report and we need to have people gathered around us that can help us interpret the news, interpret the statements that have been said to us into that good report. And not just one person but many people. So this is what I found in my life. Having just one person to help me interpret the, the bad report into the good is unhelpful, and that person winds up becoming depressed and sad, okay? <laughs> we need multiple people to help us break free of this bad report. We need many believers. Psalm 23, 6 says this, Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. You just need somebody that is walking alongside of you that says, hey, look, we got a good shepherd and he's leading his people just like a shepherd does. You ever thought about how a shepherd leads his sheep? From behind with a stick, right? He's walking behind with a stick. He's tapping the sides of the sheep. Maybe he's got a sheepdog over there and over there and they're guiding the sheep in the direction. But the sheep are in front. The shepherd is behind. And what the psalmist says is like a good shepherd, goodness and mercy are following you. We need people that are walking along, the sheep walking alongside of us that are going, man, hey, goodness and mercy's back there, man. You're like, but I'm afraid of what's up that hill, man. There's a good shepherd is behind us. He's right there. He's following us. It's goodness and mercy that's following us. Turn around and look. It's a goodness and mercy that follows us. We need people to remind us that even though what we want is goodness and mercy in front of us, rest for that. I've been living on that all week. We talked about this earlier this week, and he goes, I want goodness and mercy out in front of me. I'm like, me too! It may be fear, it may be a bad report that's out in front of us, but goodness and mercy are following us and leading us in this direction. And so goodness and mercy has a purpose and a plan for that outcome. Just because because Jesus is in us, we have access 
God of peace and all of his resources. We need the family of God around us to help us know and understand and see the good report that's in front of us. Second thing we can do is make a declaration of truth. And what I'm going to do is give us a chance to do this. There is a difference between a mind controlled by the world and a mind controlled by the Spirit of God. There is a difference between a mind that's controlled by the world and a mind that's controlled by the Spirit of God. I'm going to sit with that. What is your mind controlled by? What is guiding your thoughts? We want to have a mind that and speak things, declare things, that are consistent with God-honoring truth. So let me give you two different sets of internal thoughts. Number one, here's number one thought. Because the God of peace is with me, my life matters. I am full of faith. My mind and spirit are at peace. I have energy from the Holy Spirit that is enough to get me through this day. This day is going to be amazing, and I am so excited about the future even though I can't see what it is. Even though it looks dark, I'm excited to see how God is going to work these things out. That is a mind that is God-honoring and holding on to the truth that the Lord speaks in His Word. But there's this other side of this. I'm tired. I need coffee. Now, why did I have these kids? I've got too much to do today. I need an extra day this week. I'm tired of my job. I'm tired of these people that are making me crazy all the time. Life is overwhelming. I can't seem to get ahead. I'm tired of this place. I'm tired of this house. I'm tired of this car. What kind of mindset is that? It's entirely negative, and it isn't even looking forward. All it can see is this moment and the reality of the news that's coming into us, that I can't do it that I'm not strong enough, I'm just too tired. Chances are that you probably resonate with one or the other of these, but let me ask you this. However you see your future, see what's coming before you, are you excited about the direction your thoughts are taking you? Think about that, the direction that your thoughts are taking you. Are you excited about that? Do you look forward to it? As I said to you last week, I started memorizing Psalm 134 because I realized that these words were not just nice poetry. They're truth, and they're the truth of how God sees me. I've been memorizing it, and I've been declaring it over myself. Whenever I'm stressed, whenever I'm fearful, whenever the news seems bad, whenever the horizon seems too dark, I start speaking these things. Why? Because Romans 12 teaches us to not pattern our mind as the world does, but rather let God transform us by the changing the way we think. So instead of just accepting bad news and bad reports, I'm continuing to change my mind about myself and to change my mind about you and to change my mind about my neighbor and to change my mind about the world around me and to change my mind about the news. I'm changing my mind by contemplating, by meditating on the good report that God brings. Today I want to give you a chance to write a declaration about your life. I'm going to give you just two minutes and then we're going to close. I want you to write a declaration, and it starts with this, because of Jesus, okay? Because we can, we can write all kinds of declarations about our life, right? People do this all the time. Just think positively. Just think, just think good things and put good thoughts into the universe about your life. These good thoughts come from ourselves, and guess what, ladies and gentlemen? We can only go so far because we need God's divine power and strength to give us truth. 
So because of Jesus, because what Jesus has done, because of what Jesus is doing, because what Jesus has said about me, I am or I will. You know, it may have been something that God said to you in worship this morning. It may have been something that God said to you during the course of this sermon. But a good report came, and you're not even sure you believe it. A good report about your life, a good report about your circumstances, a good report about your day-to-day challenges, the things that stress you out, the things you've been marinating on, the things that worry you, that make you afraid. I want you to write it down over the next couple minutes. I'm going to give you some other examples and just read these to you. Just start now. Just think for the next two minutes. What is the good report that God is speaking over you? If you're worried all the time, maybe this, because of Jesus, I am not anxious about anything. I cast my cares on God because He cares for me. I have the peace of God dwelling in my heart and ruling my mind. I don't know God's will for my life. My life belongs to Christ. Daily I will seek Him, and daily He will direct my steps. I know His voice, and He leads me by His perfect will. Surely goodness and mercy are following me. I'm lacking confidence. My confidence is in Christ and Christ alone, because His Spirit dwells inside of me. I can do everything that He has called me to do. struggling with my time with God. It's inconsistent. Maybe this is your declaration. I love the living, filling presence of my good and loving God. Praying is as important to me as breathing. God's word nourishes my soul. I depend on his presence every moment and every day. Write down your report. because you hadn't been, I have been exercising it. I've been exercising my walking muscles. This is the truth of our thoughts as well. The thoughts we exercise are going to become the th- strongest thoughts. When we exercise the bad report, which is what we do naturally, it's the easy path, that's going to have be our strongest thoughts. But when we exercise the good report, when we exercise these declarations, when we speak them over and over again, they strengthen and they become strong. When we read God's word, when we memorize it, when we pray it, when we declare it, when we journal it, it grows strong inside of us. The thoughts and beliefs that we exercise matter. You know why? Because your life will move in the direction of your strongest thoughts. Your life will move in the direction of your strongest thoughts. So if your mind is completely centered on destruction, guess where you're headed? If your life is centered on God's goodness and His plan and His ways and His glory, guess where your life is going to go? Are you excited about the direction of your thoughts? 
exercise your exercise the right thoughts. Exercise the thoughts of God. So when you've got your declaration, I want you to begin declaring it. Here's the first thing you can do. If you're a Facebooker, Facebook that sucker. Put it on the church Facebook page. Begin to declare it to, to God's people. Begin to declare it to your friends. Look, this is this is what God says about me. They're like, well, what about all my non-Christian friends? They're going to think I'm crazy. And they're going to be like, you know what? You're right. But the righteous are remembered forever because they are steadfast, because they are secure. So declare it to yourself and let other people declare it. Share it with a Christian friend who can help you interpret it and look at Scripture and say, hey, is this coming from Scripture? Is this truth? And to, to wrestle with it and then keep speaking it over and over again to yourselves. Here's the thing. You may feel at first a little bit crazy. You may feel at first like it's a little bit silly. You may feel at first like you're lying to yourself. But what you are doing is speaking the truth of who you are not yet. And that is what God is speaking to you. Keep declaring it. Heidi and I have been working on speaking Spanish. And what Spanish, this translation for this program we use, wants us to do is it wants us to take and translate our thoughts from English to Spanish so that when we see an object or an item or a color, we think of that word in Spanish. So rather than thinking brown when I look at the carpet, my brain wants to say cafe. And when I look at an orange, rather than saying, oh, that's an orange, my mind wants to say naranja. We're trying to change our mind from thinking in English to thinking in Spanish. And that's exactly what declaring the promises and the words of the Lord over our life is. God is trying to get you to think in good report. He is transforming your mind and getting you to think and believe in his future and his promises for your life. So begin to declare it. As you go from this place, share it with one or two or three other people. What is God speaking to you? What is the truth of who you are? What has the Lord spoken over you? Father, I pray that we would have courage. And maybe, Lord, the place of the greatest bravery in this subject is to actually speak the thing that you are saying to us that our hearts do not believe. So God, I pray that you would give us the courage to open our mouths and to speak your words over our own selves, over our friends and our neighbors in this world, that we would begin to speak your truth to this world in a way that they hear it, they see it, and they're reminded of who you are. God, I pray that we would be secure in you, and our hearts would trust you, that we would be steadfast in our pursuit of you, and Lord, above all, that we would be stable because of your declaration over us. In Jesus' name, amen. My charge to you this morning is to go in the grace of Jesus to be full of good news, not bad news, to be full of good news, to be full of a good report for this world. May your hearts be kind. May your minds be fierce, fighting for that good report. And may your souls be brave.